Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So two men in our Bible story are going to church. A publican, a tax collector, and a, and a, a Pharisee. And this is not a Pharisee bashing sermon. I'm sure you've heard them. And people complain about the Pharisee and how he was full of himself and how he was working so hard to do the things that he thought would get him into heaven. And I want to share with you a prayer from Jesus' time, not in Hebrew, but in English, that the Pharisee or any godly man would have been taught to pray in church. The prayer that we hear was actually very common. I give thanks to you, O my God, that you have set my portion with those who sit in the house of study. And you have not set my portion with those who sit on street corners. For I rise early and they rise early, but I rise for the words of Torah and they rise for frivolous talk. I labor and they labor, but I labor and receive a reward and they labor and do not receive a reward. I run and they run, but I run to the life of the future world, and they run to the pit of destruction. He was respected, he was faithful, he was generous, he was up, standing in his community. If he were alive today, he'd probably be a deacon at the local church. He didn't go to Bible study. He taught the Bible study. These were the men who studied the word of God. And they believed with all their heart that if every Jew for one day would follow the law, the Messiah would come. Now we know that the Messiah did come. So perhaps there was one day in the life of Israel where all the Jewish people for that one day followed the law. Now I, I teach kindergarten sometimes uh, every day. And I'll tell you that I don't think that really happened. Teaching kindergarten is sometimes like herding bumblebees, you know. You get three to sit down and one's up and over. I'm not sure that happened. But the Pharisee was not the bad guy in the story. Neither was the publican the bad guy in the story. Now I want you to imagine that you went to your mailbox yesterday and you got your regular stuff. You, you know, you got your JCPenney catalog and you... You got your new ShopRite coupons and maybe a couple credit card offers. And at the bottom of the pile was a letter that said IRS. Well, if you're me, you like to rip the scab off. So I would open that one first and you open it up and it has that word that nobody wants to see. Audit. There it is. That's the word. And they don't give you an option. They tell you what day to be there. And you know that the auditor you're sitting in front of is known for being dishonest and greedy because the IRS has a new policy that they get a percentage of whatever they get from you. Now, that's not a true story. That's pretend. But guess what? That's exactly what the publican was in Jesus' time. He was the IRS agent, and he made his money off what he could collect. Nobody liked the publicans. In fact, there was a Jewish rule that they were not allowed to go into the actual sanctuary of God. They had to stop in the court of Gentiles. They were forbidden to have access to God. So I want you to hear the picture with first century eyes. 
The righteous man, in the eyes of the Jewish people of the first century, is there praying a prayer that anybody would have been taught to prayer. Pray, I'm a good man. I do the right things. I do them often. I do them everywhere. I support the work and worship of my local congregation. God, you need to be nice to me. Bless me, because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And when Jesus pointed out that the publican had made it to the sanctuary, it would have been the same gasp as when I did the magic trick in the children's sermon, because he wasn't allowed to be, how did he get in here? There were people in, how did he get in here? And we're told that he wouldn't even look up to heaven, and he repents, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You got the good guy, and you got the bad guy, and the story is not about either of them. Both men are barred from heaven. I want you to hear this. Both men are barred from entrance from heaven because the Bible makes it clear that everyone has sinned, for all have sinned, and for short of the glory of God. Neither one of these men, and Jesus knows this because he's lived in heaven, have access to heaven. The publican was praying to be recognized. Why? Because he was taught that it's the things you do that get you to heaven. The publican was praying because he wanted mercy. The weight of his sin was, was burdening his heart, and he wanted to be free from that sin. For one prayer, God was weighing the debt. Some of us think of God as has this big scale up there, and these are your sins on one side, and these are the good things you do on the other, and, and if we do enough good things, the scale will, will balance out. This is actually uh, one of the advisors in the book of Job has this theory. Well, Job, you need to do more good things. It'll balance out the bad things, and then God will, will leave you alone in essence. I, I need to do enough good. I, if I do enough good, it'll erase the bad. Eric Byrne, in his book, I'm Okay, You're Okay, talks about four ways of looking at the people around you. And I want you to hear this because... The book is called I'm Okay, You're Okay. That's the healthy way of, of looking at life. <laughs> if you make mistakes, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. We all do. And if you understand that other people make mistakes, you could raise your hand again because hopefully we understand that. But we don't like it when people point out our mistakes. There's two ways to make your self-esteem go up. One is to, to do good things, to learn what you're supposed to learn, to show up and do what you... And you say, ah, I'm... I'm becoming a better person. Or the other way to raise your self-esteem is to look around at all the mistakes of the people around you. If you push them down, then you'll feel higher up. So that's what our Pharisee is doing. He's saying, look, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. He's not. Therefore, I am a better person than he is, and I will get to heaven. Now, the other three transactions that Eric Byrne talks about is I'm okay, you're not okay. Have you met people like that? They're always right and you're always wrong. Then you have I'm not okay and you're okay. They're the people that always feel like they can't do it. They just can't. And then my personal favorite is I'm not okay and you're not okay, which actually is the more biblical one because none of us are eligible, worthy, righteous enough to get to heaven. Once I preached a sermon, and I actually put 
masking tape on the floor, and I had a little boy jump as far as he could to try to get to heaven, which was another piece of tape further down the aisle. And as far as he could run and jump, he could never make it, because I planned it. He could never make it. And if, if I were going to preach that sermon, which I'm not doing today, it was called, How, hard, how Far Can You Jump? Because we think that if we get enough momentum, if we do enough right things, God will recognize our long jump and let us in. So this is a story, not a true story, but a man died and went to heaven. You know, I love jokes about heaven. And he got to the front gate and St. Peter said, we're so glad to have you here. He said, good. He said, well, you need a thousand points to get in. He said, a thousand points? Well, how do you get points? He says, well, tell me what you did. He said, well, I taught Sunday school. And Peter got out his calculator. And he said, and I was a deacon. And I sang in the choir. And I was in the men's Bible study. And Peter says, well, that's 387. What else you got? Well, I did my best to tithe. And I went on a mission trip to Jamaica. And he says, uh... That's 487. You're 513 short. And the man thought, and he thought, and then he cried out in desperation like the publican. Jesus, have mercy. And Peter said, that's a thousand points. I want you to think of heaven as a door that we need to walk through. And I'm going to be a little bit irreverent and uh, call to your mind Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There are three times in this movie that King Arthur and his knights need to pass through something. And the first one is the Black Knight. One of my favorite. The Black Knight is this big, huge knight, all in black armor. And he says, none shall pass. And King Arthur goes up and he cuts off his sword arm. And now the, the, the blood is spurting out of the arm and he goes... None shall pass. He says, I cut off your arm. He says, it's nothing. And he picks up the sword with the other hand. And King Arthur cuts off that arm. And he says, let us bide. He goes, no, it's a flesh wound. And then King Arthur cuts off his leg. And the knight is hopping and butting King Arthur with his head. Have you seen this movie? Until finally, King Arthur cuts off the other leg. And he's just a stump laying there. And then King Arthur and the knights go by. And some of us think about heaven like that. That we have to do something. We have to conquer something. We have to commit some great act for God. And then he'll let us in. The second example, also from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, are the knights who say knee. There's these big, huge, intimidating knights who say knee. And you have to bring them something. And you have to bring them a shrubbery. Bring us a shrubbery, they say, and we'll let you go by. And they go out and, you know, not too big and not too small. And they describe the shrubbery. And then King Arthur and the knights bring them a shrubbery and they're allowed to pass. Some people think that we're going to get through this door of heaven by what we give. Our time, our money, our compassion. That the door will open because we have given more than the people around us. It's not what you do. And it's not what you give. So the last one is probably my favorite. It's the old man on the bridge. And the knights make it to the bridge, and there's this guy with these horns on and a a big staff, and he goes, you must answer three questions before you cross the bridge. What is your name is the first question. And the guy goes, Sir Lancelot. 
What is your quest? Second question. I seek the holy grail. What is your third question? And one of the knights says, blue, no red. So he answered the question wrong. And he is invisibly picked up, thrown off the bridge and into the chasm. Some of us think it's what you know that's going to get you to heaven. It's not what you do. It's not what you bring. It's not what you know. There's only one thing that will get you into heaven. And that's Jesus. Amen. Jesus, Jake in the story, Lord have mercy. That's worth a thousand points. That's what opens the door. The publican and the sinner, hear this. The publican and the Pharisee were both forgiven. But only one of them accepted the gift. I, I read a quote this week and I wrote it down. Heaven is full of forgiven sinners. Hell is full of forgiven sinners. But the sinners in heaven accepted the gift. They walked through the door. They said, Jesus, have mercy. So the law is a mirror for sin. We, we learned that when we studied Galatians at the Thursday night Bible study. That the more you look at the law, the more you realize how unworthy you are to be in a relationship with God. And grace is a window into what God wants for us. When I was a kid, I had to learn the acrostis, acrostic. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus died for us to repair the whole, to repair the debt of sin, so that we could have a relationship with God. Now today is Reformation Sunday, and I want you to, to laugh with me a little bit about how uncoincidental this coincidence is. Martin Luther took 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Church and he hammered them up. Now I want you to know that it was never his intention to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to spark discussion with the other people, the other professors in the community. So, lesson one, if you want to spark a discussion, don't nail your complaints to the door of the person with whom you want to start the discussion. But in these 95 theses were these complaints. People think it's what they do that gets them into heaven. I don't know if you know this, but you could buy what were called indulgences. And the church would sell them. And you could have 10,000 sins forgiven or 100,000 sins forgiven. Or if you paid a huge amount of money, you could have all your sins forgiven for the rest of time. And people would buy these because they didn't know that their sins were already forgiven. And Martin Luther said, we're doing it wrong. It's faith that saves us. Not what we do, not what we say. Amen. <laughs> so Jesus pays our price to heaven. Jesus opens the door. And I, I have one more quote for you from Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels at Willow Creek Church says, when he shares the gospel with people, that religion is what you do. You have to show up on the right time. You have to wear the right clothes, put the right amount of money in the plate, say the right prayers, do the right things. Religion tells you what to do. And the world is filled with churches that will gladly tell you what to do. And then you believe that if I do those things like the Pharisee, then I will have a place in heaven. But Christians believe that it's done. That there's nothing you can do that Jesus did it all. That Christianity, true Christianity says, it's 
done. It's finished. It's over. There's a place in heaven for everybody who accepts Christ. In recognizing his inability to reach God, the publican saw the reality of God's love. So there's really three things. Uh, my friend Bruce Sophia calls them the ABCs. There's three things I want to leave you with. The first one is that everybody in the room at some time in their life needs to admit the fact that they're a sinner. Just because the Bible says it doesn't mean we all come to a realization easily that I have sinned and I've made mistakes and I've separated myself from God. You need to admit that you're a sinner. The second one is you have to believe that God, by sending Jesus, paid the debt for your sin. That the only way to truly be restored is through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then you need to confess. You need to not only admit that you know you're a sinner, but you have to be repentant. The word in Greek for repentance literally means to turn around and walk away from. You need to put your sin down and walk towards Jesus. Hello, young one. <laughs> if one of those three things is on your heart today, you need to admit, confess, or you want to believe, during our last hymn, we invite you to come to the front pews. The pastors, the uh, deacons would love the opportunity to pray with you and see you join this thing called Christianity and give your heart to Christ. The good news is, it's not none shall pass. Everyone shall pass with Jesus. Amen.